the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free. And my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come fly.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee in the National Prayer Chapel. I'm going to begin a study with you today that will take us some weeks to complete. It's the study of the book of Exodus. Now, Exodus is so vital for us because it's the story of Moses. It's the story of the almighty God of heaven, the I am God. It tells us what the purpose of life is. The purpose is redemption. Redemption to worship. Now, I'd like to give you an outline of what I'm going to cover in the coming days. You may want to jot some of these down. I would encourage you to read carefully the book of Exodus along with us as I walk you through the passages of Scripture that tell us the story of this incredible man of God used more powerfully than any other man save Jesus. If we look at the book of Exodus as being primarily about redemption, we find at the very beginning a clearly defined need for redemption. And this is pictured by a people enslaved, the children of Israel, miserable, broken, struggling to survive. They needed redemption. And so chapters 1 through 6 of the book of Exodus tell us about this people and their desperate need. Second, we're shown the might of the Redeemer. We're shown the power of the mighty God of heaven that is displayed in the plagues on Egypt, breaking their nation, causing them to finally submit chapter 7 through 11. And then thirdly, we find the character of redemption. The character of redemption. Purchased by blood, emancipated by power, as we find in chapters 12 through 18. Then fourth, we're taught the duty of the redeemed after they are brought out of slavery, after they are brought out of the horrible condition of their life, they are redeemed. In chapters 19 through 24, we find that the obligation, the duty of the redeemed is obedience to the Lord God of heaven. Fifth, we find the provisions made for the failures of the redeemed seen in the tabernacle services, chapters 25 through 40. Now, you may say, Pastor, where do you 
get the understanding that this is all about redemption and worship. Look at Exodus 15, verse 13. I think this is really the key verse of the entire book. It says, Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. There was a need for redemption to bring them to that holy place where they could worship the Almighty God. Now a question that immediately, <clears throat> pardon me, comes to my mind. Why were they left in bondage for 400 years? When we compare the scriptures, we find that Joseph, probably with his brothers, lasted perhaps 30 years after Jacob came to the land of Goshen. And then a new Pharaoh took over, one who did not know Joseph, and he enslaved the children of Israel. Now, in this enslavement of the children of Israel, it goes on for 400 years. Why? Well, we don't really know, but there are some possibilities. One possibility is that God recognized that it would take that long to prepare a people who would be prepared to follow him into the desert. Perhaps another reason could be God recognized that he needed a nation. And after 400 years, they finally have become large enough to be a nation. More than 600,000 men of fighting age, and then women and children. So altogether, it would be a minimum of 2 million people. Never in history has this ever been done before. This is a, a one-time situation where a people have been forcibly removed from another nation, taken out into the desert, given a whole new culture, given a whole education about who this God is and how to establish both your religious culture, your social culture, your rules for relationships, and then taken into another land and established. This is a one-time situation. Now, as we look at this story, there are several parts that I'd like us to, to understand. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verses 24 through 26. Let me read this for you. By faith, Moses, when he came to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ 
of greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of his reward. Now there's a couple of things I want to look at with you in this. It's very clear that Moses, born in a very difficult time, when baby boys are to be euthanized, murdered, we have the first pro-life group in the Hebrew midwives who refuse to kill the baby boys. Finally, this little one is born, and Jochebed decides to put this little one in an ark, a basket. Pitch is put on the outside and tar it is sealed carefully. Now the great danger is that when this basket, this ark, is placed in the water, a crocodile may snatch it and kill this child. Pharaoh is determined to kill Moses and all the baby boys. So mom and dad, I'm sure with much sorrow and prayer, after keeping the child alive as long as they could safely do so without endangering their other son, Aaron, and their daughter, Miriam. They say we have to make a decision to save our family. And I'm sure they prayed and earnestly sought the Lord God of heaven and finally put that little boy in that little basket ark and put him out in the midst of the bulrushes. I don't think Mama could stand to stay and watch what happened to her loved child, but Miriam was willing to watch and wait, and so she did. And Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe that morning. She and her attendants were walking along the bank, and she saw the basket. Maybe she looked because Miriam was studying carefully that basket, not taking her eyes from it. She saw the basket and sent her slave girls to go get it. She opened the basket and she sees this baby and he's crying. She felt sorry for him. She said, this is one of the Hebrew babies. Immediately, Miriam is on the spot and she says, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, and go and tell her that I'll pay her wages. So suddenly, what was catastrophic loss has redemption. We need to understand through this whole study of the book of Exodus that it is God who is in charge not us. And we will be shocked often as we look at this book and we then look at our own lives and begin to understand that God has a plan for your life and God has to bring you into what I call and others have called the school of the Holy Spirit where we learn 
we learn how to allow God to work that redemption story in our lives, that we could be of service to him for the redemption of others. God is all about redemption. God is not about cursing and destroying. He's about redeeming and saving. Now, if we go back to the story of Adam and Eve, as the first parents in the book of Genesis, we find that God, as part of his character, gives a choice. He does not demand worship. He invites worship. You don't have to worship the Almighty God. You are free to turn whichever way you would like to turn during this probationary period, this short time we're on earth as these flesh bodies deteriorate and finally we return to the dust because of Adam and Eve's sin. Now we recognize there are two trees. There is the tree of life, and there is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God has placed both trees in the center of the garden. He has told them, don't touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because on the day you touch it, you will die. It is not God's will that they should touch that tree and die. It is God's will that they should eat from the tree of life and live. Please, may I say this to you? God does not want you to die. He loves you. He wants you to live and prosper. He wants you to come, be redeemed by his blood, the blood of Jesus on the cross. And he wants you to come and worship him. He wants you to come and have intimate fellowship with him. It is not God's will that you should die. But we do die because we still have not had our bodies redeemed. Romans tells us that our bodies and that all of creation is groaning, waiting for that redemption. Oh, but in our spirits we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and we look forward eagerly, anticipating the joy of the reward. That's what's said about Moses. So we find these two trees, and now Adam and Eve have to make a choice. Are they going to eat from the tree of life and live? And I believe the tree of life represents Jesus Christ. Or are they going to go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and become as the serpent told them, as gods, knowing good and evil for themselves? In other words, knowing how to make every decision for their own life, they don't need God. They can be God. And this is the lie of our age, that human beings can create 
artificial intelligence. We can become transhuman. We can, as Mr. Musk has said, we can have an implant that connects our brain to a huge computer system. And we can have all knowledge. We can be gods. And then they say, technology is advancing and soon we'll be able to live forever. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Unfortunately, their wild dreams will be crushed because they sided with the powers of darkness. They sided with the serpent who is a liar and a killer. He is that great dragon who has brought such misery upon this earth. I tell you honestly, I would not want to live forever. I would not want to live at all if I had to be in the kingdom of darkness. The greatest joy of my life is that Jesus has redeemed me by blood shed on the cross. I have been redeemed to worship God. To worship Him. And I stand by faith today on the promises of God. They are all yes and amen. And we, according to Peter, participate in the divine nature through the precious promises of Scripture. So now we come. Adam and Eve make a choice. They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And immediately they find themselves naked and ashamed. And they hide from God. Part of what happens in the redemption is that we no longer in our nakedness hide from God, but rather we run to God to be clothed in his righteousness. We run to the Father we run to Jesus. We run to be washed and cleansed and renewed and restored because of his love. Even while we were yet sinners, he loved us. They made a choice. Everything in your life is going to be dependent upon the choice you make. Moses knows something about the God of heaven or Acts could not have said that he chose for the reward of the future. And somehow, I don't understand how, somehow he understood that there was a future. Josephus tells us that Moses could have been the next Pharaoh because the then reigning Pharaoh had no son and his daughter who adopted Moses had no son. There was no natural Pharaoh to take over. Moses could have stepped into that role. He was prepared and trained and educated 
but he chose not to. He tried to fulfill his understanding of Scripture by going out to visit his people as a as an adult, as a warrior. And when he went out, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. He was hoping he could start a revolution. Well, revolution is not the way God moves to build his kingdom. He does not lead a revolt. He has another way. And I'll show you that way. He knows the next day when he goes out once more and one of his own Hebrew people is beating another one of the Hebrew people and he rebukes the man the man says, are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses now knows that the gossip has spread. The secret is out. And then Pharaoh tries to kill him. He doesn't fear Pharaoh. He runs. He escapes. And he goes to one of the least likely places for an Egyptian to go. He is trained as an Egyptian. In many ways, Moses thinks and speaks as an Egyptian. And if anyone saw him, they would say he is an Egyptian. But in his heart, there is a great love for God. For God has revealed himself in some way to Moses. He runs and he finds himself led by the Spirit to Midian. And there is a well. He's tired. He sits down at the well and shepherds, shepherdesses come and they bring a flock. And other shepherds come and drive them away. Moses sees how unfair this is and he steps in and he prevents these other shepherds from coming forward. And he waters the women's sheep. When they go back home with their sheep, the, the man asks, the father asks, how'd you get home so early today? Rule was their father. And they answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and he watered the flock. Where is he? Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. We need to reward this man, in other words. So they go and get Moses, and he comes, and yes, he is hungry. He eats with them, and then rule, and he talk. And an agreement is made that Moses will live with them. And that Zipporah, the eldest daughter, will be given to him in marriage. Now, there's a very long period, 40 years, 
children of Israel are still in bondage. They're still suffering. Perhaps even children are still dying. But God has just enrolled Moses in the school of the Holy Spirit. Now, an amazing statement is made. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And when God heard their groaning, he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now, let's break this down. The Israelites are groaning in their slavery, in their misery. They needed redemption. Until you begin to groan in your sin, until you begin to groan in your shallowness, until you begin to groan in the coldness of your heart or the lukewarmness of your heart before God, there can be no redemption. There can be no deliverance. God responds to a heart that begins to cry out to him, that begins to recognize its utter misery and the utter hopelessness of ever delivering themselves. If you can deliver yourself, you don't need redemption. It's going to cost something to redeem your life. It's going to be extremely expensive. And Jesus paid that price on Calvary. He paid it with his own blood. Nothing could be more expensive than the salvation of a man or woman. And it demands that we become very serious about who God is and who we are. And it demands that we recognize the anguish of our heart and not try to snuff the anguish out with drugs or alcohol, not try to snuff out that hurt in our heart with illicit love affairs or with video games. Oh, but, Pastor, I get so bored. You know, my dad used to say, he'd say, Ray, it's wonderful that you're bored. I'm so happy you're bored. And I would look at him in astonishment. What do you mean, Daddy? He'd say, when you're bored, you know you need to do something new. <laughs> he was right. Boredom is a great inventor of the new. Most people won't move if things don't become so painful they have to move. Most people won't even look at an opportunity to change unless their pain level is at a certain place. But in all honesty, as we look at our own hearts and we look at our own lives, if we are not redeemed by the blood of Jesus and changed into new people, fully given over to the mighty hand of God, then we will find every kind of entertainment, every kind of sporting activity, every kind of social engagement, clubs, and whatever we have to do, opiates, 
alcohol, sex. We'll find whatever we need to find to somehow comfort our hearts so that we can deal with the reality of life. When you come to Jesus, you don't need to do any of that wickedness anymore. He comes and he gives us a whole new life. He establishes us in a whole new way. So the Israelites are groaning. That's the beginning of an awesome story. I encourage you to begin. If you're walking in sin, if you're not walking clean before God, I invite you to allow the pain of your heart to begin to be expressed to the Lord God of heaven. He will redeem you. He will set you free from the prison you're in. He will release you from the snare that has captured you in the devil's camp. They begin to do something of vital importance. They begin to cry out to God. Until you begin to feel the pain and the anguish of a wicked life, the emptiness of a humanistic life, until you're willing to begin to deal with reality and feel the, the real sense of despair, you can't be helped. But if you feel that and you allow yourself to feel that and you begin to cry out to God, your cry for help will go up to God. God cannot resist the cry of a sinner for help. God cannot, for any man or any woman, he cannot deny them when they begin to beseech his throne with their misery and their anguish and ask him to change what's happening to redeem their lives. God will hear your groaning and he will remember his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He will remember his covenant with Jesus Christ, and you will be redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Now there is just one more brief sentence that I want to talk about in verse 25 regarding this issue. It says, in the New International Version, the Old New International Version. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. When you have God's attention, by recognizing your misery, your alcoholism, the brokenness of your life, the misery in your marriage, when you begin to recognize the misery of your heart and you begin to cry out to God, he's going to hear you. He's going to hear your groaning. And he will, he will remember the blood of Jesus shed on Calvary. And he will look at you. And he will see you in all of your filth 
Nothing will be hidden from the eyes of God. He will see your deceit. He will see your uncleanness. He will see everything about you. But he will be concerned about you. I want you to know today God is concerned about you. He has not written you off. Oh, my brother, my sister. I call it the terrors of the morning. The terrors of the morning. In the early hours, four o'clock in the morning, you awaken and you begin to review in your mind the decisions you have made and you begin to see the decisions you made that were utterly out of faith, that were in unbelief, that were in arrogance and pride. You begin to see the decisions you've made that took you down a road you didn't want to go down. And now you have to deal with the terrors that come upon you as your heart faints with fear because you see the condition you're in. And then the reassuring word of God comes to your heart. I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about you. I've heard your cry. I know what you did. Now make a new decision. Will you come to me? Will you let me redeem you? All of us have made terrible mistakes before the Almighty God. Now you may not be conscious of those because you have stuffed everything of this world down your throat. You've been a glutton. You have been a fornicator. You have been a liar, a cheater, a thief. You've been bitter and angry. Perhaps some or all of what I've just identified. You know what you've done is wrong. And I'm here to say very simply, as you groan, let the pain come. Look at those tears that assail you in the early hours of the morning. Let them come upon you in all of their power. And know that God has heard your groaning and that he's remembered Jesus on the cross and the blood has washed you clean because God has looked at you and been concerned for you. That's the one message I have for you today. God is concerned for you. He loves you. He treasures you. He sees the mess that you've made or the mess that you've been. And he calls you now to make new choices and new decisions instead of running into the bushes and hiding from God in your nakedness. Come boldly in your nakedness to the throne of God and say, look, Lord, at the mess I've made. Make restitution in every area you know how to make restitution. And watch as God redeems you and delivers you and sets you free.
is that good news to your heart today. That's such good news to me. To know that God wants to redeem me, to bring me into a place of humble worship before his throne, that I can function as a son of the, mo of the Most High God, that I can fellowship with him, that I can be filled with his spirit, that Jesus will actually come and dwell in me. And he has. And I rejoice in that when the terrors of the morning come upon me. The fear rises up in my throat. It's then I have to make a choice. Will I stand by faith? Will I walk in faith in the Son of the living God? Or will I choose darkness? I received this there you can see it. I received this beautiful card from one of our listeners who also sent a pledge for the month of, for last month. And this dear person wrote in the card in big bold letters, is there anything too hard for our God to do? No, no, no. And underlined anything too hard. You know the hardest thing in the world? To redeem a sinner and give them a new life. Is anything too hard for our God? No, no. No. When I received that card in the mail, I laughed with joy. And I said, Jesus, thank you for that wonderful encouragement today. I just hear in the spirit that some of you are saying, well, pastor, you haven't made the mistakes that I've made. You don't know how low I've sunk. You don't know how angry my heart is. You don't know how cold I am. You don't know how cynical I am. How angry. No, I don't. But I know how cold and cynical and angry my heart has been in the past. And I know that today it's not that. Because Jesus came and redeemed me. And he's no respecter of persons. He reached down to the bottom of the barrel and he grabbed me and said, Do you want to get up? Yes, Lord, I want out. I want up. Bring me into the school of the Holy Spirit. And he did that. And I've been in this school of the Holy Spirit for my 40 years. In fact, I'm still in the school of the Holy Spirit, being disciplined and trained 
humbled. You know, I've made some some awful decisions in my life. Decisions that have resulted in my hurting people that I loved. Decisions that led me into a, a desperate place where I gave up ever living through it. But God heard my groaning. And he rem he remembered his covenant. And he's concerned about me. And I'm so grateful. I know I'm going slow, but I mean to go slow because I'm just hearing in the spirit that some of you are needing to make a decision today. A decision that you will get serious with Jesus and that you will begin to cry out to him in your misery. And you will begin to ask him to remember you and to remember his covenant with Jesus for your sake. decision today will you put aside all of the things of this world and finally get serious about who Jesus Christ is and what his plan is in your redemption he did not redeem you to sit in a church and enjoy and bask in the entertainment and the pleasing words that flow over your ears to go out and again live like the world to participate in the things of darkness. That was never on Jesus' mind for you. He wants to redeem you for the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to redeem you for worship. Are you willing? willing to put aside everything to become serious with Jesus and to begin to seek him with all of your heart and with all of your mind with all of your spirit well I'd like to pray with you may I Lord Jesus I'm just hearing in my spirit that men and women listening today are making decisions about whether or not they will get serious with you and whether they will put aside the things of the world, the flesh, and the devil and begin to earnestly cry out to you for deliverance. For the way of darkness is a painful way. It is a destructive way. It destroys people it destroys health, it destroys friendships, it destroys everything, Lord. And I know today there are some who are alcoholics listening to this broadcast. There are some who are on opiates and drugs. There are some, Lord, who are grossly sinning against you. 
Lord, I ask that you would move in their heart right now that that they would make a decision to get serious with you and to lay their heart in repentance before you in their nakedness, Lord, would you see them and have mercy upon them? And would you right now begin to reach out to them and be concerned for them? And Lord, there are some who are fat and happy and satisfied in their worldly church with their religion, but they know nothing of the school of the Holy Spirit. They know nothing of who you are They just have intellectual head knowledge. But Jesus, that head knowledge and that sentimental feeling in their heart will not save them. Lord, they have to meet you. They have to see your Shekinah glory. They have to be brought into your presence. Lord, I'm asking now for every person listening that they could see the Shekinah glory of my Jesus, that they could be brought into that intimacy and that love where they can be redeemed for worship. Lord, I need also to pray for our our president and our Congress. Lord, this nation is so torn asunder by the wickedness of men's hearts. Lord, I am afraid for our nation. I pray now, Almighty God, Lord Jesus, I pray you will intervene in America and not allow a war with Iran to erupt. I pray, Lord, for the peace of Jerusalem and I pray for the peace of America. And I pray for the peace of Iran. Lord, in Iran, there are many new believers. Many new believers are are coming forward day by day. I pray for those new believers in Iran who are suffering such persecution, willingly laying down their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ because you redeemed them and they worship you now. Lord, I pray for the Christians who remain in Iraq and Afghanistan. I pray that their blood, that they must shed it, will be seeds for many others to step in. Oh, Lord, we live in such a desperately wicked time when the vile forces of darkness are jamming every part of life. Lord, would you come now and redeem? Redeem by the blood of the Lamb. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd love to have you come and visit the prayer chapel if you'd like to do that. Go to the Google and just Google National Prayer Chapel and there you'll find the address times, phone number, whatever you need. I also would very much look forward to hearing from some of you. Would you go to our prayer chapel webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com 
and you can give online for the work of this gospel ministry. Or you could write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Well, tomorrow we're going to continue our study of the life of Moses. We're going to immediately go into chapter 3. You're welcome to read ahead. Prepare your heart. If you need to talk with me about the gospel, call me. 703-489-1785 or go to our webpage. My brother, my sister, thank you for listening today. Give the message to someone that you think needs to hear it and subscribe to our our webpage. Thank you.